Today's July 16th, 2018, and you're listening to Human Factors Cast, episode 98. Uh, planes, trains, and, and Facebook today? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about all these transportation innovations and more on today's Human Factors Cast. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today by my good friend and yours, Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. Nick, it's so good to be here. Another day, <laughs> another Monday in the studio. A few hiccups. Uh, a few hiccups. We're okay. You, everything's situation normal. Uh, we're all fine here. Thanks. How are you? I am doing <laughs> well, my man. So good. You and I have been talking about one thing for half the day, and that is new laptops. Uh, yes, yes, new laptops. Yes. So Nick reminded me about my laptop and how much I love it, but there's some problems that I've got with it. What's the problem? Man, I cannot stand when things don't give you feedback when they correctly should. So for anybody that uses, you know, caps lock or nums lock or anything that you need feedback from your laptop for, my laptop does not do that. So I noticed. So so you're talking about when you hit caps lock or nums lock, there's no visual indicator on your physical keyboard or, or laptop just in general to indicate the status yeah and the funny thing is is like i've seen on some of my older laptops or even older computers where it'll tell you on the screen at least where something is caps locked or if you hit nums lock or whatever right it'll like show up at the bottom or something like yeah that. at least give you like some textual indication that something's happening but nope not today not at all yeah so anyway that's pretty much all i've got for fun little banter but it sounds like you've got something cooking in the works where regards to a laptop sir i got multiple things so i'm really excited because i uh, just bought my first gaming laptop um it has a lot of power behind it uh there's reasons other than gaming that i purchased this thing and which we'll get into in just a moment here it's uh, a little tease but um yeah so I, I finally bought this thing and and um i'm very excited about it because i'm working off of this 2010 2011 2013 maybe i don't know it's old it's an old laptop and it's not very powerful and I have been kind of struggling for uh, a, a powerful PC for a very long time. I mean, a lot of the work that you and I do is uh, audio-based, and, and um, or at least for the show, right? We do a lot of audio-based and uh, more later. That's another tease. That's another tease. We'll things, get there. Yeah. We'll get there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, your laptop has taken us a long way. What? There's like two years of it holding up as the sole recording device to help yes. us out every week. Yeah, it's been a struggle. But uh, yeah, I invested in a new laptop and, and uh, it'll be great to jump back into the being able to do stuff on a computer. Um, so I don't know. I'm excited about that. But I, got, I want to talk about one other thing. Um, so last week was a little weird for me because I was at an off-site event um, from the office. I was at an off-site event all week. Was it off-site? It was off-site. Interesting. Did I say that? Yeah. Okay, I was just making sure. So <laughs> at this off-site event for the entirety of last week, uh, minus Monday, um, and I just, all I had was a work laptop to kind of work, I guess. It was it was weird. It was... Um, Why was it weird? I don't know. I just felt very disconnected from everything, from the camaraderie in the office to uh, even just like my normal daily routine of uh, being. I was in a I was in an area where I couldn't necessarily check my phone at free will, um, so I wasn't as plugged into what was going on with the news. Um, I wasn't sort of 
kept well aware of, uh, you know, all my, all my, um, conversations I was having with my loved ones. So it was, it was a little, it was just a weird feeling, feeling disconnected from everything. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to be back into the real world as they, as they say. Yeah. Cause I'm sure it was also stressful too. Like one, not being able to really access the stuff that you're used to being out of the office. That's kind of always a pain. Right. And then like, I don't know about you, but when I'm on offsite meetings or like stuff that's that keeps me out of the office for a while, it's fine. But at a point, it's it gets overwhelming just because it's people that I don't necessarily interface with every day. There's a little bit of added pressure to kind of right. be on, really on top of your game while you're outside representing your own company. So yeah, a week's worth of that has got to be pretty tough. Yeah, and it wasn't just the, it was like the tools too, right? Because you're I was using like a loaner laptop, and so you know even even something as simple as like a screen capture tool that. That, that's something that you take for granted when you just use it every day. And uh, so I didn't have that. And so the productivity of my work was severely limited because of that. You know, there's a whole chunk of my project that I put off until today. So that way I could work on it at my desk because I knew I had the right tools to do it. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy to be connected back into the grid and, uh, <laughs> and all that stuff. So just back in the office, driving everybody nuts. Yeah. So do you want to, do you want to, Talk about some stuff. Let's talk about some stuff. Some, okay. Some things. All right. So let's get into some programming notes, guys. So um, really quick, Blake is going to be out next week. So I'm going to have to find a replacement. Yes. He'll be will... taking auditions starting tomorrow. <laughs> uh, the show is obviously not going to be as good without Blake here, but we'll find someone. We'll find someone that will be, uh, you know, the, that'll be able to hold their own. Uh, hopefully. I don't know. <laughs> and then after that, we are going to be taking off the week of the 30th this month. So if you're doing the math, that is, uh, ep- next episode is 99, and then we're taking a week off, and then Blake will be back here for episode 100. Now, we got some exciting stuff to announce. We've kind of been teasing this over the last couple of weeks, and um, you know, we even teased a couple of weeks back that we hired somebody uh, to help us out with something that we didn't want to reveal, but now uh, we're going to go ahead and reveal that we hired a video editor. And um, there, we're going to be moving the podcast to a video form. Now, don't worry if you're getting this in your feed. We are still going to do the audio podcast, and it will predominantly be an audio podcast. But you know, Blake and I sat down and we said, "Well, a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the show is very visual based. Like, there's a lot of these contraptions and interface devices that we talk about that we have to describe on the show, and we still will. We still will." But it helps to have that visual cue. And we know a lot of you are tuned into YouTube for a lot of your content. And so we just want to plug into that medium as well. And if that's the way you choose to enjoy the show, then that's the way you choose to enjoy the show. There's no, like, it's just another way for you guys to consume the content that we produce. So like I said, don't worry. There's not going to be any changes to the audio format. We just want to let you know that that is going to be an option starting episode 100. So that's a big surprise. Um, Super excited. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, you actually got to see a sneak peek of our intro. Uh, It's a little fun thing. I don't know. Like, (laughs) I got pretty stoked about it. It's pretty cool for... It's it's pretty great. I mean, our our video editor... Can we name our video editor? Uh, Let's let's hold off. I'm not sure if he wants to be named yet. So our (laughs) anonymous video editor did put together a pretty sweet intro based off of, like, some of the the feedback we had provided about things that we liked and didn't like. So it was was an awesome little piece, and it's kind of a fun little journey, right? We've been doing the podcast just audio only for a while, and then we did the Skype deal where you and I were kind of separated and now we're back in the same space. So why not try a little bit more? And, and uh, yeah, that's also why we got into a studio because this type of video format wouldn't work otherwise. So as you know, we've been recording in a studio for the last couple of weeks. 
um, and we've actually been doing dry runs of of the video. And now you guys can see our mugs while we uh, <laughs> while we podcast at you. <laughs> while we podcast at you. So it's, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be a interesting uh, foray into a new medium. And um, we'd be happy if any of you would join us. We have also, like I said, we also have a couple surprises in line for episode 100. Maybe some giveaways. We'll see. I don't know. They might be some good ones. So I. I, I'm really excited about those, but I can't talk about it yet. For so. those of you who can't see his face, he's got like a grin, like a Cheshire cat. So uh, stay tuned for episode, <laughs> what is it, 99 and 100? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, you'll, you'll be able to see my, my smiley mug in episode 100 for sure. There you go. Um, but yeah, we do have some exciting stuff. Please stay tuned. Um, there, Yeah, some exciting stuff in the pipeline. Uh, very excited. And it's been a, an incredible journey getting to episode 100. Not a whole lot of podcasts do that. Anyway. All right, we, we will talk more about that on episode 100, but for now, I just want to remind everybody that we got a couple events coming up. we got AHFE. Uh, that's next week. Wow, I need to check with our field correspondent on that to see if... Yeah, that would probably <laughs> could be good to go ahead and check in. Maybe he'll want to do the co-host yeah, the potentially. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, 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 potentially. All right, and then we have uh, HFES coming up, and just to remind everybody, the uh, there is a preliminary uh, program out there, so you can check out the plenary speakers, um, and and do check out those things because it it does give you sort of this alternative perspective on human factors that maybe you're not plugged into as much uh it's it's a good kind of way to uh experience the other side of the fence if you will um and then you know there's also this silent auction um so if you have any sort of submissions uh for like arts crafts writings paintings whatever it is you can submit it and uh there's going to be the silent auction that the proceeds will basically be uh, used in scholarships for individuals who's never attended HFES. So it's going for a good cause. Uh, check that out. If you want more details, hit us up. We, we'd be happy to point you in the right d- direction. Nick, do we have a timeline for that? I'm not sure. Because um. <laughs> that was just something I was thinking about. Yeah. I'm, I'm really into photography. I was thinking of submitting a photo for this. And I'd love to do it in Philly, like at night, and then submit it while I'm there. But I don't know when this is actually due. Yeah, I'm not sure. I we got uh, heads up from HFES officials on this one, so I'm not sure. Maybe we can. We can always find out and like let you let anybody know in Slack or tweet it out on our social media, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Here, uh, I I'm pulling it up here on uh, the silent auction on the HFES website, but uh, and and I'll look that up here in a second. And also, we have HFES Australia 2018. That's in Perth, and that's in uh, November 26 through 28. Uh, let me see here if I can. Uh, yeah, so here's the silent auction, um, September 1st. So we got some time. Nice. All right, so all the way to September 1st, you can submit your entries for the silent auction. Yes, yes. So it sounds like you still got some time. It looks like you want to contact Valerie Rice. Uh, so Very good. All and, right. Uh, yep, her email is on the um, website for this. I will post that in the show notes so everyone has access to it. Uh, as well as posted in our Slack channel, so be sure to check out those thing, those places, those locations for this link. <laughs> there we go; it's in there. All right. Um, so that's that's really all the programmatic stuff. You know what time it is, Blake? Well, I think we got one more event. Oh wait, we to do pitch. Do we? Yes. So HFES Australia 2018. Did you now? I did pitch that. I didn't hear it. But that's anyway, okay. That's okay. fine. Even when we're in the same office, Blake, you don't know. You don't. You don't hear He's what I'm saying. Listening. No. You, you just. You just talk, yep. and you don't understand what I'm saying. You just. You just want to hear the sound of your own voice. Okay. Yes, I love it. <laughs> all right. Well, it's that time again for us to get all about Human Factors news. This is the part of the show where we break down all the stories 
coming out of the field of human factors. This could be anything from medical, transportation, psychology, whatever it is. It's fair game as long as it relates to the field of human factors. Blake, what do we got up first this week? All right. So you may be able to take subs suborbital space tours from Italy within a couple of years after Virgin Galactic inked an agreement with two of the country's largest aerospace companies. Included in the deal are outlined plans for a spaceport to be constructed in the south of Italy, and besides providing a launch facility to take wealthy folks on a once-in-a-lifetime trip to the edge of space, spaceport will also be used by customers such as the Italian Space Agency as a science platform for high-frequency space research. Uh, so, Nick... This is pretty incredible. This might be one of the first real spaceports in Europe that's going to be having people traveling for fun. I'm excited. Sign me up. <laughs> you and me both, if only I could like afford the price tag or whatever it is going to be. Oh, I saw Millions uh, was the... Oh, shoot. I, I did see a, like an estimate of, of how much this would actually cost. So maybe I... at the very end of my life, I can just toss that in there. A little yeah. million dollar space ride. Your life saving. I mean, if you die in the space ride, then it's all worth it. Yeah, right? it's I mean, all worth it. Just shoot me out into space. Because then it's your it's the end of your life. You're you're good. Yeah. But what does this mean for tourism? Because that's that's the real question that I want to get at, right? Because because as this technology becomes more and more uh, accessible and uh, more efficient, right, the price will come down. Uh, I don't know if it'll ever get to like airplane costs right that seems a little unlikely to me because yeah of the sheer amount of resources required to break earth's atmosphere but um to get into orbit but i i feel like this could do a lot for uh tourism and i i feel that also this kind of paves the way for the early stages of of uh space exploration for the everyday person yeah and it's it's an interesting take here because i think what what I read in the article, anyway, is this is more of let's breach the Earth's surface so we can have a look down from space. Right. Not so much like I'm going to the moon or I'm going to Mars. Right, I mean, right, that, right. That takes years and years yeah, to yeah. even do. Uh, so it's it's kind of cool, and I agree with you. I think over time we're going to see it come down to be, I don't know what reasonable is going to mean at that point, but in, in a way that more people could definitely afford to do yeah. it for sure. I mean, uh, the, the one thing I'm curious about, and maybe you can answer this for me, is what is there to look at? So you get up there, it's just a flat, like... You know, a, a flat thing that you're looking at. Just a flat earth. <laughs> <laughs> just, you see the, the uh, flat earth. You see the corner of it where the I, water's coming down. I'm feeling feisty tonight. I don't know. This is a bad joke. Yeah, right. I, I see that. <laughs> so we are definitely believers in flat earth over here. But totally. no, I mean, it's it. Uh, that's kind of a good question, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's uh, giving you a telescopic view of what you can never really see except for through the internet now. Right. Uh, and you're going through all the throes of being in, being in like that low gravity kind of format or, and also experiencing what it's like to fly in a spaceship, which at the same time is kind of scary for me because we've had so many safety problems over the few, over the decades that we've been doing space exploration. Sure. Um, and even like, that's why you've got Virgin who's, a little bit behind, you might say, because in 2014, they had that big issue where they actually lost a pilot due to a failed testing. Oh, that's right. So yes. it's 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 nice to see that they are like taking their time in terms of trying to put safety first for everybody they're putting into these aircraft, whether it's pilots or it's their actual potential passengers. Um, but I, th I think the bigger part of the article that I like the most for now, because I, I like the idea of eventually being able to travel for travel into space if, I, if you can potentially afford it later on. 
But the fact that they're already like lining up partners to bring in to make sure that this is not just a wealthy space trip, but it's being used for science as well. Right. Yeah. That's that's the exciting part to me too. Is um, you know this this opens up a lot of avenues for space tourism, but the science behind it is uh, is really exciting because more data coming in, we understand more about um, you know what it takes and and to to get up there, but also we get more data collection about the Earth. Yeah. It's all good. It's all yeah, good. Yeah, and I think something else that kind of is put down the tail end of this article is actually what might help drive down the price is the competition here because there's also right. Blue Origin coming from the CEO of Amazon, so Jeff Bezos. This is kind of his competitor for Virgin Galactic, and they're quickly kind of testing their reusable rockets, and they're actually almost caught up to where Virgin Galactic is right now. Right, and you know SpaceX is working on something. Yeah, so hopefully, but with that nice kind of healthy competition that we'll have with this kind of, you know, getting people into space for fun type of thing, we'll, we will see that price kind of drop down and a lot of kinks will be worked out over time, right? Right. Yeah, speaking of SpaceX, do you think Elon Musk will make the first electric uh, rocket? Oh, I'm sure. He already launched the car into space. <laughs> yeah, Why not he make the did. electric rocket? He already did. All right. Let's get into our next story. This one's fun. All right. Yeah, this is pretty insane. So a plane that lands on a runway, shrugs off its wings and turns into a train and then rolls onto rails to drop you off at the local station. Well, that's what a French entrepreneur who's made millions by connecting engineers with industrial groups is pitching to Boeing Co. and others. This is called Lincoln Fly, which is a which is ACA Technologies' new flagship aircraft design with wings that come off to hasten turnover at airports and make boarding easier and closer to the passengers' homes. The aquafuturistic concept, passengers would board, board a train-like tube at a neighborhood station and have their retinas scanned for security taking off during the ride to the airport. Wings would then be attached to the pod for takeoff. Nick, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with James Bond films, but this definitely seems like a Q invention to me. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Just like get on a train, stick on wings, and you're off to go. Yeah. Uh, if, there's, there's an accompanying video that's actually pretty... Pretty fun to watch because y- you see this tube and actually just hooks right up into this plane chassis and and uh, the whole idea of having seamless transportation that could be ground based right because that's one of the we, we talked about last mile um, last mile transportation uh, I don't know if it was on our infinite episode or last week's episode no it was last week because I remember we were going through like the the different options and that kind of stuff right so. Um, so something like that, where you're looking at the last mile transportation, uh, this this kind of solves that issue. If you can board at like a bus stop and just get on at a bus stop, I, I know we're talking about trains, so it might be you know something a little bit more uh, more complex than just a bus stop. But I'm thinking pie in the sky here. You you board a bus stop and then you get into this little tube and it takes you to the airport, locks you, docks you right up into the airplane, and then you take off and then there you go, you're up, you're on your way. And then once you're there, it it undocks you and then takes you exactly where you need to go. Yeah, I mean the time and efficiency is incredible with behind the idea, uh, and I don't I don't know. I mean it does serve the exact purpose that you're talking about here, right? Like we we're almost eliminating the need for the disruptor market of these last mile kind of uh, efforts that have been going on with like the scooters or bikes that are kind of all around cities nowadays. But the the one thing that I get concerned about, I guess, is I'm already, I don't know about you, Nick, but I am not the biggest fan of flying already. And to think that the wings are modular and worrying about the, you know, making sure that they're placed correctly, that everything locks in and you're ready, 
you're ready to hop in and go. I don't know. You'd be nervous. You, you, you're not a fan of the like. You could drop a payload of passengers <laughs> if the pilots any time. Oh god, uh, yeah. So that, that does make me kind of <laughs> nervous, right? Um, sure, I, I get that. I get that. But at the same time, you know, the wings of an aircraft are just bolted on. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the. <laughs> It's one of those things where the fear of it doesn't really make sense when you think about the rationale behind it, right? Because well, I mean, like, look, it's sliding do- and locking versus bolts is not a whole lot of different. Uh, it's a know. it's a docking mechanism, right? So, I mean, there there is some fear there, right? Yeah. And what if the docking mechanism fails? Then you're just falling out of the sky. And but what you could do is <laughs> you just saw the idea, huh? You saw an idea form on my face. You could put a parachute on the thing. Yeah, or give everybody a parachute on their seat. No, no, no. Just parachute the whole tube. That's true. Yeah, you could just have it float all the way down. That might even yeah. be a fun end of the ride. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And then it's, since, the it's, a, like since it's a tube, it would float, presumably, or, you know. Yeah. It on I mean, it looked aerodynamic in the 3D yeah. kind of rendering they have of it. Yeah. See, this is, would be one of the fun things we'd show on video. I'm that is we very true. That. The one thing that I, also that I thought was a good idea, and it kind of plays in a little bit, it plays into the facial recognition story we talked about last week, is that now we're cutting down the need for any kind of like going through airport security and all that. Cause it's being right. done presumably by the bus slash train. Um, and then I, I would assume that you're just, you're a you're pretty much check bag slash putting your bag on the like underside of the aircraft when you start. Yeah. So then you've kind of changed the entire process and made it really simple. I mean, it's really just streamlining. Like we talked about even that story from uh, the, the biometric scanning in the airports, right? They're trying to streamline the experience. And I feel like, if you combine that with something like this, you're 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 streamlining it to the nth degree because you no longer have to go through that process at multiple pain points. You now just go through it once before you get on the thing, and it takes you exactly where you need to go. Yeah. the The one thing that I guess I'm not sure of is what happens in the case of like you don't live near a train station or and you live near an airport. Can you could you walk in and just go get on one of these tubes that shows up? Right. Yeah, that's so. A there's good there's some weird, some kind of weird nuances to think about, but it's it's yeah. an awesome idea and a crazy technology to think about. And I'd love to see Boeing put one of these together. Yeah, and I guess you bring up another point too about the living near an airport. What if you live sort of near a train station? And everyone gets on this tube. Um, do you then like it, does the security checkpoint happen at the train station, and then once you get to the airport, you're put into um, you know the terminals and then you can go to your airplane like it it doesn't make sense because people are going to go to different de- destinations unless you specifically go to a train station and say I want to go from Los Angeles train station um, to uh, you know to, to New York somewhere yeah you, now it's you're like, bringing up a really good point right because you're gonna have to oh, not yeah. everybody's gonna want to make that trip well, how many train thing? How many train tubes would you have to have? Basically, one to for every it. potential flight that we you would have booked on right. any given day. Right, and maybe it's yeah, maybe it's for like these least access or these uh, lesser accessible areas that you know. Okay, we'll 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 put you all in this train tube and take you to this this major metropolitan area. Um, mm. And there's like I don't know, yeah. Now I'm, now I'm wondering. Is it well? It's an instance that I think we run into as human factors practitioners, or we have the eye for right. It's the technology seems super awesome and a lot so of cool. Fun. <laughs> Probably like one of the most intense engineering designs I've seen in a long time. Yeah. But then like the integration of it into the current system is right. going to take a lot of effort and a lot of thinking, and I think a lot of restructuring of how things are running in airports now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 
it'll be it'll be interesting to see. And if any of you have any thoughts on this, uh, you can jump on our Slack and let us know how wrong we are, you know, uh, or just bring up other other ways in which we're not thinking about it. I don't know. <laughs> all right. It's all fun here on the show. All right. Uh, before we move on, I just want to thank all of our friends over at Engadget, TechCrunch, Digital Trends, and Bloomberg for all of our stories this week. If you guys want to follow along, you can follow us all over social media. Or like I said, you can join our Slack for links to the original articles. We post those as we find them. Um, so, Blake, we got some Facebook stories. Yeah, we, we got some Facebook stories. That's right. All right, so let, let's hop into the first one. So in April, Facebook announced that it would be working with a group of academics to establish an independent research commission to look into social issues of social and political significance using the company's own extensive data collection. That commission just came out of stealth. It's called the, the Social Science One, and its first project will have researchers analyzing about a petabyte's worth of data, of sharing data and metadata itself. The way the commission works is basically that a group of academics has created and given full access to the processes and data sets that Facebook could potentially provide. They identify and help design interesting sets based on their experience as researchers themselves and then document them publicly. So this, what this might look like, for instance, is a set, a set of data that's imaginary in this case. Maybe described as about 10 million status updates during the week of the Brexit vote and such associated metadata and then developing a research question from there. All right, Nick, we had okay. a little bit of banter before the show about this. Yeah. We, yeah. How do you, how does this like at a first glance make you feel? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds on this, right? Yeah. Okay. First off, publicly available data is always good in my mind. Uh, second off, I feel like you're going to make a really strong point about uh, something to do with this. Why don't you go? You just I can see you bursting at the seams. Why don't you go ahead and say it? No, it's kind of funny because I feel the same way. I think the publicly available data set and trying to understand what's going on from a social and political perspective, especially here in the United States, seems like a really important point that Facebook has made. Right. At the same time, it's Facebook who's putting this together, and I'm a little concerned about the continued collection of and what they're doing and how how extensive is the data that they're collecting what does that mean when we start handing it out to other even scientists or researchers right and what's the implication for the people who the data is collected from right well i'm i'm under the assumption that this is anonymized data and i think it actually calls it out in this article right it does it does mention that they make every effort to make sure that it is anonymized right so so in that regard um I don't think there's any real danger of isolating an individual, but you still do have the the danger of isolating certain user groups um, and potentially gleaming some things, right? Like they said, analyzing status updates during the Brexit vote. Well, who's going to be tweeting about Brexit? Probably people, you know, people, the majority will be, yeah, those are affected by it, right? So you could, you could almost um, infer demographics based on who's, who's, doing status about what and if that data is tied to other things in that data set then you might be able to pull out some tertiary um uh, characteristics about those individuals right so i can see this not only i mean they 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 go and say that they're going to give this to the scientific community right is this like publicly available i didn't see uh they say it's only for this specific commission is what it sounds like to me so, because I was thinking, if advertisers got a hand on this, then uh... all right. So that's another like tier of what I'm really worried about here. Right. Is where 
where is this data going? And I know it says that this is an independent commission or independent research commission they've put together or helped put together. But what what's the data feeding into? I mean, are we really just getting information about like social psychology questions or what's going on in the political climate? How is it going to be used? And that's and this kind of ties into the next story that's again related to Facebook, but it's I I see a lot of this, especially with what they talk about collecting and metadata being in some ways filtered down or used for advertising. Yep. Yep. I, I'm worried about that as well. Um, let's get into some of this metadata though. So it looks like there's country, user age, device, uh, and so on is what the article says. But uh, there's dozens of other items on there, such as ideological affiliation bucket, um, friends versus non-friends who have viewed a post, uh, feed position, number of total shares, clicks, lights, hearts, flags. Uh, so there's a lot of data to sort through with this stuff, but there's a lot of stuff there that if the right researcher comes along, they can pour through this, right? And and we're at no sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We're at no scarcity of publicly available data sets. There's a lot of them out there. Uh, and it's always been kind of like a pipe dream of mine to train an AI to, to link up data sets with certain tags. Um, and try to look for trends. I don't know if that's possible. I'm not an AI guy, uh, but that does seem like something that would be tremendously valuable if you could hook up, you know, something like the day, right, to posts. And what if you got some of the like uh, some of the publicly available data sets from NOAA? So you could identify. This is a fairly innocuous example, just by the way. Yeah. You so could, for you, for listeners, and for Blake himself, what's NOAA? NOAA is the National Organization of uh, Weather. It's weather. It's weather. Weather. I, I'm going to look it up because okay. I don't want to look like an idiot. I know I'm going to get like 10 emails about that. But uh, <laughs> it's a, uh, oh, man, I should know this. National Ocean- Oceanic and Atmospheric, Atmospheric Administration. Uh, so this there's publicly, data, uh, publicly available data sets from NOAA. And now with this Facebook thing, if you link up day to status, and like I said, this is fairly innocuous, you can see that on a hot day, uh, people tweet or people make statuses. This is Facebook, not Twitter. People make statuses about it being hot and sure. um, potentially, uh, you know, that the, there's more angry faces because it agitates people when it's hot. I don't know. That's, that's true. That's one example of hooking up these two data sets. Um, but yeah, I, 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 this pipe dream is to hook up many data sets and, and start to get that data to emerge. I don't it, know. <laughs> it's kind of funny because it, maybe it's just having a little bit of experience in marketing and whatnot. But when I even hear that kind of simple example, right, my first kind of idea when it comes to Facebook is, okay, it's going to use targeted ads that are going to be selling you things that are related to either summer or it being hot. Sure. So yeah. in, in a lot of the stuff that they even mentioned in metadata, that's what it felt like to me is, okay, we're, we're getting hits on what this kind of content is doing um, per, per like user population, ideological, ideological affiliation, and it's kind of tr- fi- figuring out how you can target specific groups of people. Um, I don't know, though. I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes, and I want to keep an eye out for anything that's being put out by the social science one group. Um, Cause I'm assuming they're going to kind of get started ASAP and start, you know, churning through data and maybe right. give us some things like this. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, Facebook's come out 
or has put a lot of really brilliant technology together to help. And it's not necessarily all related to just under the name of Facebook because they've got their own like kind of skunk works things and Oculus going on. So who knows? I mean, maybe this will start feeding different technology like AR and VR and see where we can go from here. That's an excellent segue. But before we go there, I just want to say one other thing. If you're a student right now looking for a project, go look at some of these free data sets. There, there's potentially some some work to be done there. You can oh, pull for out sure. all the work's already done. You just got to find out how that data was collected and report on that. But then you can you can report the findings yourself as long as it's not been reported by anyone else. Yeah, and you can even whoa, do like Nick was <laughs> talking about. For anybody on video, that's what you would have seen me get hit in the face with a mic. Uh, but even what Nick was talking about, you can start to see how you can even put all this stuff together across data sets. And I think that's a fun project. Oh, so good. All right. You mentioned AR and VR. Let's get into this next one. Yep. All right. So this year at F8, the developer conference put on by Facebook, they announced that it's working with businesses to use AR to show off products in Messenger. So now a similar experience will start appearing in the news feed with a select group of advertisers testing out some of these AR ads. These ads look like normal in-feed ads at first, but they include a tap-to-try option, which opens the AR capabilities. And of course, if you like the way that it looks in AR, you can go ahead and buy the product. In addition, they've announced that a new video creation kit will be released, which will allow the advertisers to incorporate existing images into templates for mobile video ads. In other words, they're making it super easy to create ads and target you. The minority port is here. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but I, leave it to Facebook to like bring kind of AR to the next dimension that you'll see in your everyday life for people that use Facebook. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. This technology is interesting because on... Uh, Okay, so over the weekend, my partner used the Amazon one that we talked about mm, six months ago, maybe a year ago. The fashion one? No, no, no. The one uh, where you can see the uh, got hit in the face with the mic again. Wow. The one where you can see the um, the products in your home, and they've been really pushing this for Prime Day this year. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, where you can actually see the products in your home. So she was looking at a rug, and you know she like mapped it up. Oh, to, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was. How did how did it come out? I mean, I didn't see it. She used it. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You but, didn't even see her using it? No. Well, I saw her using it, but I didn't see what the thing was. Sure. I went to look. But, uh, of course, you know, other things uh, got in the way. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, this technology is, is being widely available. This is, to me, almost taking it to another level where you are taking products and, and showing what you would look like with these products. Um, and that takes that that takes it to a next level for a variety of reasons because uh, there's there's the level of being able to overlay it in your home but now you're overlaying it on your face and you can actually see what you look like and there's the potential for um uh, some of this augmented technology to augment the way you look to be look better if that makes sense oh i see what you're saying so yeah. so but i because like okay if you augment uh, an environment it's hard to change certain aspects of that environment to make it look better in your house. But there are certain characteristics of the human face, of the human body that are, uh, you know, research, well-researched and uh, more appealing to certain individuals, right? So if you're within a target demographic and they know that target demographic, they can set the algorithm to be more attractive uh, when you're wearing their product. Interesting. I don't know. This is, this is just my brain going to the, like, immediately worst thing that you can possibly do with this technology. And it's like a Black Mirror episode gone 
right? Wrong? I don't know. It's like, it's somewhere like a Black Mirror. <laughs> somewhere in between. It's like a Black Mirror episode, right? Where where this technology, but but then also sort of the more malicious um, intent behind it is is kind of what I'm worried about here. Uh, I'm going to be curious to try it. Yeah, I think you bring up a really cool point, though, that it, well, it's not necessarily cool, but I, w- I was thinking that it was similar to what Amazon might be doing, right? Like if you, if there's some, in your in your case, you were talking about a rug, same kind of deal, okay? Like I click for my this newsfeed ad if I'm on my phone. I'm assuming you would have to be, yeah, with a forward facing camera yeah. or something. Yeah. Okay, so then then it would just like project it in your house, and you can be like, yeah, okay, I'll buy it from here or from Instagram because they've talked about doing the right. same thing on Instagram, um, which made a lot of sense to me. But when you t- start talking about the face and like the camera looking at you and projecting, you know, maybe it's cosmetics or sunglasses or yeah. whatever it might be, some new beard oil. Uh, it made me wonder down the same nefarious route that you were kind of going down, but except for would they would they be able to augment aspects of your face to put you in that demographic of you know making your face look better than it really does? Well, look, and then market products. To look, you. here's the thing, man. So when you post pictures on social media, you're posting your best self. So they have that data available. Sure. They have it available. So why not make that picture look like the you when you were 20 pounds thinner? Why not make that, you know, like, hey, you look really good in that. Uh, It's the same thing about tilting the mirrors down so you look thinner, Mm -hmm. you know, in in, uh, department stores. It's the same effect that I'm worried about here. Uh, And what sort of legislation, if any, is there going to be to protect the consumer from this type of um, uh, mind-altering algorithm? (laughs) Well, now you've made it a little bit worse for me, right? Because what if, like, if the ad's coming up and it says, like, tap whatever the, the function tap is, to tap to try. try it on. Well, what if, what if the way it shows up, it's, it's already got it on you in that slimmer version or the best version right. of yourself that you've put on social media? Right. And so now it's, it can even, in a flat sense, get you and kind of pull you in. Oh, you're ma- saying, like, on the pictures that you've already posted and yeah. just have it, like... Yeah. Just kind of superimpose on top of you because it's already got the data for that. I can't imagine that's that much of an abstraction to AR. No. Like that's so, wow. That would be a great opt-in. if you're listening. Opt-in, opt-out yep. <laughs> requirement there. Right, yeah. yeah. Or else you're going to get super targeted ads. Yeah, if you're listening, you can send royalties to... Uh, HumanFactorsCast. HumanFactorsCast.com. Human exactly. Exactly, yes. Yes, we won't give out our physical address. That would be dumb. Uh, yeah, this is... Uh, <laughs> Woo. But I, I, they, they do bring up a good point here. Um, you, you bring up the static augmented stuff. Uh, they, they do make out a point here um, that there's a weight loss company, Noom, which has been testing out these ki- types of tools that, uh, that figured out that uh, videos actually performed 77% better than static images. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. It does. Because if you can see it in motion... Mm, then you can, you know, whole different ball game. You know how it works. You can get some of the like ideas about what's going on. Yeah, not to go too far off the rails, but man, you know the the like the technology is already there. There are Snapchat filters that make you look more attractive uh, to whatever whatever that means, right? Um, I don't I don't know what exactly the filter does, but I know it, it makes like, me look good. Yeah, yeah. So it, the technology's there, and it alters certain aspects of your face that are supposed to be more appealing. So yeah, it's probably bringing you to that to that golden ratio place, right? Yep. Yep. Ugh, that scares me enough. That's just, yep. that's just a Snapchat filter. That's a Snapchat filter, and then you throw Ray Bans on it, and uh, this podcast is brought to you by Ray Ban. Yep. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I I it'll be interesting, and I I want you to, if you can, keep an eye out for these on 
Facebook, and I'm, I'm talking to Nick, but really anybody that's that's listening to the show and happens to be in our Slack, like I want to know what this feels like to you, because uh, I really just don't use Facebook, so I don't know what they're even like. I don't use Facebook either, so <laughs> bummer. All right. I mean, I, I I browse through every now and then, right, to see if anything major happened with some of my friends, milestones, whatever. But I don't. I'm not a daily user. Yeah. Well, if anybody um, that listens to the podcast is and you see one of these, I'd love to hear about it from you. Yeah, absolutely. Do do check it out. Let us know on Facebook uh, <laughs> or on there our Slack. Yeah. I mean, we do check social media interactions, so there's. That. I guess I am a user in that regard, but not like the, the not uh, my own. Yeah. Yeah. But exactly. anyway. All right, what do we got? Two more stories? One more story? I think we got, whoa, two more. Two more. (laughs) All right. So a little flip in the script here. So startups across the world are transforming capabilities that were once regulated to specialty labs with large, expensive capital equipment and highly trained technicians. Well, today, an entire human genome can be run on a desktop machine for less than $1,000. And beyond DNA sequencing, new companies are focusing on everything from flu to strokes and are moving the technology, revenue, and data from few centralized companies to doctors and patients that need it the most. Benefits of these technologies are numerous, and disaggregating testing from large centralized labs to, cl- to clinics or the home will broadly lower cost, enha- enhance patient outcomes, and provide better overall access to care. Significant investment is still required to develop tested to co- Test to a cost and performance that is acceptable to the healthcare system. It's okay. We'll make it through. <laughs> and there are many sources of funding currently supporting these innovations. All right, Nick. So from a high level, what is this telling us? Okay. So let, let me get into this. So this is actually just a sort of a meta analysis by the folks over at TechCrunch. Um, and they're, they're kind of looking at how technology and healthcare is basically moving from these large, uh, highly intensive uh, machines to being able to get access and uh, test mobile. And we talked a lot about these sort of technologies on the show. And I just thought this was a, a nice kind of reminder that we're moving in a direction where it's decentralized from the hospital. Now we are getting a lot more data about ourselves in our everyday lives, just from the device that's in our pocket. We, th- these devices are tremendously powerful and a lot of us take it for granted every day. Um, I think it's great that we are sort of uh, using them in such a way that allows us to maintain our health or or get some sort of better uh, awareness of what's going on with our bodies. And I know that you are probably super jazzed about this this trend and movement because you talked several times on the show about you know how how you're super into what goes into your body and and how your body operates and what kind of data you can get about it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. This is a meta analysis. I thought it'd be fun to talk about. No, it's great. And I love that even from like TechCrunch's perspective that they're really talking about the fact that, okay, we're moving away from this centralized model and startups are doing it at such a rate that is really going to help to lower costs, not just to patients themselves, but also the providers that are giving you the care and create just kind of a different way of looking at the healthcare model. Um, and I, and I, and like Nick kind of said, I nerd out a little bit about how uh, how my nutrition works with my body and all that kind of stuff. But I think the really interesting point that we brought up last week that was really from Nick's perspective that I like a lot is the idea that you're not having to do a whole lot of extra effort. If you want to, you can dig into these kind of things. You can look at the analytics from your Fitbit or kind of poke through your iPhone's health app and see what's going on. But ultimately, it's really a set it and forget it thing. And with technology that's advancing like this, 
or in this kind of innovative way through startups and also through different healthcare providers themselves, it's really just putting this data in doctors' hands and then also incorporating, you know, machine learning and AI into how diagnosis goes through. So there's just a lot to go through. Yeah, this is, uh, this is super exciting. I, I, it makes me think though that like, I just wish it was a, a little bit further along. So like my Fitbit can tell when I am exercising, uh, but it can't tell what exercises I'm doing. And, you know, if I had a camera in the house, maybe it could more accurately analyze what type of workouts I was doing. Or, you know, if I had a camera when I go to the gym or whatever, it would be able to monitor. We talked about this too, like monitoring your uh, posture while you're doing exercises and getting that sort of coaching behavior. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it should be there and it's not yet. And, uh, at the same time, like I, I'm very happy with the way this trend is going and I don't know, am I crazy here? Like, I just feel like there, there are still a couple opportunities for us to tie these things together. Um, because as human factor practitioners, as a human factors podcast, we're talking about how we can make things easier for people and how we can design for the human. And, uh, I, I think, you know, largely putting agency into the hands of people with their own health data and, and medical data. I think that's a good start. I just, I, I, we're not as close as I would like it to be. Yeah. So I've got like, I've got two things. One that's definitely on, on target, but one that kind of goes off into the deep end. Let's do on target first. Yeah. So the big thing is I agree with you. I think that I feel like a lot of times this stuff should be a lot further along than it is, but I, there's also a giant underestimation of how much it takes to really make these changes in an organization like healthcare. Right. And like going to the healthcare symposium this year, like people that are in the human factors field are still like for lack of a better metaphor in the trenches and fighting the battles to really get into operating rooms and understand the interactions that are going on between nurses and patients and doctors and surgeons and trying to fix the what exists now. And what we're trying to do is now integrate technology into that system in a way that's going to make it much more much easier for the patient, but require a lot more kind of analysis on the doctor's end, but also the also trying to introduce it in a way that does not like introduce a bunch of fear for doctors, right? So you're not taking away their job or their ability to make the calls. So I, th- I think there's a large, I think that's why we see such a gap. And also too, like you're, a lot of these startups that start, like they, they can only get so far without needing one of these bigger companies to help them or buy them out so they can continue developing a technology. Yeah. You bring up a good point with the, the inertia of an organization um, being hard to maneuver uh, and, Hopefully that changes. Hopefully this whole disruption of the way that we get data and um, and sort of utilize the data on a mobile platform rather than having it centralized in a in a medical facility. I think hopefully that will uh, transform the way that industry thinks about um, healthcare and and providing users feedback and and uh prescriptions and everything else health related you said you had two points was that the that was the on target one yeah it was more on target one what's the off target one so the, the, here's the off target version of that um so th- this is this is gonna i promise this comes full circle for it but think about something and nick you and i've talked a little bit about this on the show but think about the ketogenic diet right sure and this is 
just quick overview, this is basically replacing carbohydrate intake with fat to use as a fuel source. Mm. That over years and years of time, decades of time, maybe even hundreds of years, has been gone up and down in the scientific community. And there's been a lot of fighting about it in the past, you know, five years when it's come back into the zeitgeist and a lot more people are using it. Right. That doctors don't think there's efficacy to it. And then then there's a lot of research that comes out about, okay, this is helpful for cancer. This is helpful for weight loss. Sure. Um, and I think that you experience that same type of not disregard, but almost angst against something brand new because there's, you've been doing something one way for so long. And I think for doctors, a lot of this stuff has to be a little bit scary, right? These kids and their mobile devices. Yeah. What, what is this mobile device going to tell me that I don't know or I didn't learn in medical school? Well, and I think, I think oftentimes it'll be pitched the wrong way as well. Sure. So it's not, I'm, this is to help augment you doing your job the best that you can. You're already doing an excellent job, but this is just that extra 1%. Right. You bring up a great point. I mean, we're not trying to take jobs away. We're trying to augment them and, and put you more in a supervisory role of this data rather than, um, sort of, uh, an analysis role and, you know, for better or for worse. I don't want to sound, I don't want to say like, um, the industry is very get off my lawn, but it, it can be misconstrued that you're right. There is a sort of attitude towards new technologies that, well, we know this works. Why would we, why would we switch to that when it's, when it's a risk? So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things that you see different trends about it, but also, also too, I think it's going to eventually get there. Um, cause you, cause like I said, I think last week when we did this, I mean, I've already gotten, I know this seems peripherally related, but I think it's a big leap. I've already gotten like a card from my healthcare provider saying like, Hey, you can call this doctor at any time and you have 24 hour access to them. That's via great. like video phone. Just by the way, Blake, you just need a doctor that believes in the ketogenic diet because mine is totally on board with it. And she's like, fine. Oh yeah. Yeah. That it's yeah for sure. I mean, if they believe in it, yes. But if they don't, okay, they're for some. I don't know. That's a whole you other a, podcast. You need a doctor that's on your side, but also is willing to tell you the hard truths. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 What is it, doctor, mechanic, and electrician? No. What is the third one? Lawyer. That's it. Yeah. Doctor, mechanic, lawyer. Those are the three that you need to trust. <laughs> All right. You learned it here first on Human Factors. Okay. There you go. We, Life advice from Human Factors Cast. We got one more story, and speaking about uh, you know all this data on people. Yeah, so let's <laughs> let's pull it all together with some more data on everybody. So it looks like Amazon and Walmart, which have been long battling it out in the retail arena, both want to keep a very close eye on their workers. So earlier this year, Amazon pat- patented smart wristbands that it uses to make sure a warehouse worker's hands are m- always moving. Now its rival has patented an audio surveillance system, <laughs> which could can be used to listen to conversations between employees and customers at checkout. Now, before you freak out and think that Walmart has been listening to all the juicy gossip you've been dropping out out of the checkup lines, know that it's still just a patent. And of course, the company has refused to confirm or deny whether it's planning to actually use the technology to spy on its workers. The audio surveillance system Walmart designed is composed of several sensors that can collect all kinds of audio data, including beeps and rustling of papers. Any data it gathers can be used to assess an employee's performance. For instance, the sounds items make when it's being placed inside of a bag can tell the company how different someone is at bagging purchases. Customers' voices can also indicate how long a line is and how quickly a cashier can get them through it. Oh, man. 
Nick, this is intense. This has a lot of implications across multiple different businesses. Wow, Blake, it's like you read my lips. This is literally this. That was exactly my line. There's good. There's a lot of implications for this. Um, wow. The the human performance metrics are the things that I'm most interested in as a human factors practitioner. The security and privacy are also very important issues. Um, and I think it's important to bring this up, but also bring up the conversation of you don't want to infringe on your employees' rights as humans, right? They, they, I think there are, um, if you anonymize the data, I think I think that's the safest bet. But how can you when... Like these yeah. are listening. These are listening for sounds. So, so that's that's the good point. I mean, we already have cameras looking at you. There's this is just a sound device. So, employees are already being monitored. This is just one more way to look at it. the The thing that is kind of interesting to me is the fact that they're looking at all these performance metrics. Um, and if they were smart, they wouldn't they wouldn't use this to uh, punish their employees, but rather use it as a learning experience and sort through the data and say, look, these types of employees are bagging faster. Why is that? And how can we teach that method to other cashiers that may be struggling in this? Uh, what kind of training can we make that will help efficiency across all of our employees rather than, hey, John is not doing a good job on cashier. Let's can him. Um, I, that's the fear, right? Cause Walmart has not have the most positive reputation for treating its employees well. Sure, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that is very true. And I think everybody is aware of that. Uh, and it's, it's often seen as like a starter job. Um, no offense to any human factors practitioners that are working at Walmart or working with Walmart. I'm just saying that is the, that is the general public's perception of walmart and um hence why this is still a patent this is a patent and and uh you know this this brings up a lot of good questions yeah i i don't even know how to really tackle this one because i've got so many ideas just kind of flowing through my head about it I, I i do like that they could potentially use this for good like you've mentioned right so they're they're gathering all these kind of human performance metrics uh, and now they're using audio to do it which means they had to come up with some really sophisticated audio surveillance equipment and they have to know what the output's going to look like and how to interpret it to mean anything that's going to be useful for the company. Right. And that can, you know, lead into, okay, we've got during this time of the day, we have a hard, we've got like people that aren't good at bagging or we have longer lines. How can we mitigate that? I think there's something else going on here. And and, yeah. I, and I want you to tell me <laughs> that I'm wrong. Cause I think I, I think I might be, I think I might be a little off base here. But I'm I'm thinking that this is another way to try and monitor what's going on in their store from an employee perspective to start having hard numbers and ways of justifying human performance versus automated performance. Oh, okay. I can see that. And so to You're help, not off base at all. To help yeah, to help them try and figure out like, okay, based off of all these things we're collecting at the store, because I'm assuming they're doing video, they're looking at the, you know, the number crunchy type data that they have from like cashiers and all that stuff. And then adding in like another component of sound. What, what based off of what we're, what we're seeing, what's the slowest things that we can replace? Right. What, what processes would really like help from automation? And I'm not saying removing an employee, right? but what, can, what can we do? What can we automate? Yeah. Whether it's the yeah. checkout process entirely, or if it's the bagging process, maybe just people are not as good as automation as at bagging things. Right. That's a good point. Um, 
question for you, Blake, and I know this is a little off the rails, but do you do you typically go through a cashier or do you do self-checkout? I do self-checkout. All the time. All the time. Every single time. Every single time. Well, okay. There, Unless there, you have like a lot of stuff. Yeah. Unless I've got too much stuff that I don't feel like bagging or, yeah. yeah. That's me too. Um, even, even when I go, I like, I, I like bagging my own stuff because I, I, I cash it. I do, I do like, here's the fridge, here's the freezer, here's the pantry, here's the bathroom, here's, you know, so I, I cash it. So you kind of know where all goes when you get home. Exactly. So I can just throw a bag here, throw a bag there, you know, so that's, that's me. And I'm wondering if, um, yeah, so the self-checkout tangent, that's, that's interesting to me because they'll most definitely capture data on that and that will be anonymized. That'll be completely anonymized. Um, it'll be interesting to see if cashiers do a better or worse job than self-checkout because I'm like super efficient when I do self-checkout because I know I can do it faster. Like no, no slight to cashiers. I was one once, but like I can do it faster. Yeah. And not, that's an interesting use case too. Cause there is a, there's a supervisory role when it comes to self-checkout. There's right. that one person that has to like come around and fix the machine if it breaks. Yeah. And that might be a good way to test how that's going, how they're interacting with customers and what the customer is saying. Are they getting frustrated with the machine? Oh, dude, I get so mad when the pe- when the person who's in the supervisory role doesn't uh, like I was sitting there. Okay. Way off the rails. I know we're like almost out of time, but <laughs> way off the rails. I was sitting there at self-checkout and we sat around for like three minutes while these three Walmart employees, uh, I'm not afraid to call them out. There were three Walmart employees sitting there ch- chatting while I had a, uh, a thing and I was like, excuse me, can, uh, it, does it take three of you to help one person? You know? And like, I felt like a real jerk about it, but at the same time, three employees to help one person when my thing is like clearly like, I don't know. Yeah. It's it was just a interesting. All right. So this is, this is not, you know, chastise Walmart cast, but this does have some implications. So anyway, uh, you know what time it is? What time is it? Well, it is, uh, hang on, let me find it. This one. It came from- it came from that's right it came from reddit we only whoa what's going on all right so it came from <laughs> it, star wars it came from the soundboards messing up all right it's okay we had some soundboard problems earlier tonight that's okay it's it came from reddit this is a part of the show where we search all over reddit to bring you topics that the community is talking about any subreddit's fair game as long as it encourages discussion among the community i wanted to do something a little bit different tonight so this one is uh from wolfie wolfie fenrir from the user experience subreddit, and it's simply titled "Just a Collection of UX Tools." Um, Blake, you and I had a chance to pour through this a little earlier, uh, and I I want to bring up one point with this. If you go to this, the auto mod basically flagged this as spam, and I it's it's a tremendously valuable resource. There's not a whole lot of comments on it, but that's our job is to go through. Uh, these Reddit posts and bring you content that's worthy of your attention. So this is the user research toolbox. And there's a lot of valuable, valuable tools on here with links to the tools themselves um, and what category they are like uh, AV recording devices, analytics, real-time tracking, card sorting, diary study, uh, managing assets. And there's a ton of different tools for each of these. This is um this is a really cool resource. Uh, the link to this is in the show notes. Uh, we also posted it in our Slack. So um, 
definitely go check this out. Uh, are there any of these that kind of stand out to you, Blake? There's the ones that we've talked about time and time again on the show, but, um, Oh, what I do want to call in case somebody is like new to the podcast or new to like prototyping in UX. There is a long, long list of both free and paid for tools on here that are at the very bottom for the wireframing prototyping and mockups category. And it's got a really comprehensive list. So if anybody's kind of like looking for something new to try or looking what's hot right now, it's it's worth checking out at the bottom for sure. Yeah, I like I said, I just wanted to bring this up because it's it's a question that we get a lot as CM Factor practitioners. What tools do you use? Um, and, you know, uh, not all of them, but a, a good chunk of them that we use. Oh, my God, come on. <laughs> a good chunk of what we use is available on uh, <laughs> on this um this toolbox and the co- another comment I wanted to make is a lot of times you you only see when it comes to tools you see you know ol- only like mock-up related or animation style tools when you think of like UX but this has actually got a lot of stuff that's related to just the research realm I mean from everything from doing how do you just do basic surveys with things like SurveyMonkey to doing remote research itself so user zoom and those kind of companies um, but it, it also kind of gives you a bunch of different tools that you can use to put together put together your your like panel discussions or interviews and that kind of stuff. So it's got a lot of really amazing content integrated in here. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, that's going to be it for today, though. We got to get out of here. We are at 59. 50, wow. We got a lot of stuff. <laughs> I can't even talk. It's it's done. We're done. We're done with the Human Factors Cast today. It's okay though, uh, because the it doesn't have to start. It doesn't have to. Wow, this is the worst outro ever. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> if you're a Patreon supporter, stay tuned for the after show. For the rest of you, you can join our discussion in our Slack or follow us all over social media. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter at H Factors Podcast. Be sure to drop us a comment on our SoundCloud or send us an email at humanfactorscast at gmail.com. If you're feeling saucy, you can leave us a voicemail at 901-646-1432. That's 901-646-1HFC. Be sure to like, subscribe, review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, or Google Podcasts now, I guess, or whatever your favorite podcast directory is. If you want to join the after show party, like I said, you can join us and support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash humanfactorscast. And of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web at humanfactorscast.com. Mr. Blake Arnsdorf, where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about how poorly my soundboard is is acting up right now? If you guys want to talk about Star Wars sound clips, you can always find me at Don't Panic UX across Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Oh, excellent. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. And soon, YouTube. Uh, thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. And remember, till next time, it, it depends! depends. What the hell is going on with the soundboard? That is really hilarious. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations. And all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. 
Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory. Because it's more than just common sense.